I would uh, ask you to open your Bibles with me again uh, to a different place. This is always weird for me when I, I, I preach an occasional series that is not just through a whole book of the Bible. It's, it's, it's just weird, and maybe it's weird for you by now too, and I'll count that as a good thing. But today, uh, open your Bibles to the letter of Third John, John's third letter uh, to saints in the church, Third John. And uh, Third John is interesting because it doesn't have chapters, it just has verses. It's that short. We'll be in verses 1 through 8 today. Third uh, John is near the back of your Bible. It's just three books from the end. If we're going from the end backwards, you got Revelation at the very end, Jude before it, then Third John. If you're using one of the black Bibles that's under a seat in front of you, you can find Third John on page 963. I think it's just funny. The whole book of Third John is on one page. That's great. Uh, turn slowly, you might miss it. Today, as we consider being on mission as a church, last week we looked at being on mission as a church as we pray for missions and as we pray for God to open doors for gospel opportunity for us uh, individually and as a church. Today, we look at how we as a church engage in God's mission of making disciples of all nations by giving, by being generous and supporting those who go. Uh, Those of you who uh, like to climb rocks, rock climbers, know, and there are a few of you here, know the value of having someone to serve as a belay for you. Uh, when you uh, the belay is the person who stands on the ground with a rope uh, tied through, usually a, a grigri or some other sort of breaking device, and they pull in slack or let out rope to assist a climber uh, to be able to make the moves that they need to make while climbing a rock wall or an actual rock face somewhere in nature to do so safely. The job of the belay is to know, in some part, what the climber needs and to respond to what they ask for. There's a, there is a, 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 a very close and, and even intimate and dependent relationship between the climber and the belay. So much so that if the belay is not paying attention, uh, the climber could die if they fall, if it's that serious. Uh, I, in college, I had a hot minute. There was a hot minute of my life where I was excited about rock climbing, and it was literally like a minute. Uh, but a, a buddy of mine and I, we went and we got our belay certification at that time. And, I rem- and, and walking through, it was like going to driver's ed, and it's just focus on safety and don't mess up because if you do, your friend dies. And that's like, that's pretty serious. And we learned uh, in belay certification that, so the climber ties a rope into their harness and the belay checks their knot to make sure it's okay. The, uh, the, the, the belay has his or her harness on as well and has either the grigri or the braking device uh, uh, tied into their harness and everybody's double checking all the knots and everything. But then before the climber climbs, there's a, a fun little back and forth between the climber and the belay. The climber says, belay on. And the, or, or the climber says, on belay, and the belay says, belay on. And the climber says, climbing, and the belay says, climb on. And if there's not this back and forth relationship or this back and forth communication, the whole thing breaks apart. So you're supposed to do it in a particular order to be safe. The purpose of the belay is to make sure that the climber is successful or that his life is spared even if he fails. Here's the great thing about that relationship between climber and belay, that the climber's success is also the belay's success. When you're there spotting your buddy, spotting your friend, and he or she makes it to the top of the route, there is joy for the climber in having done something difficult, but there's also joy for the belay because if you're not happy for somebody you know, climbing a rock face, there's something wrong with you. You should be happy for them. That's a hard thing to do. 
The climber's success is the belay's success. The church on mission, friends, is like that belay who supports those who go on mission, who go with the gospel, so that they can too be, be those who share in the success of those who go. The main idea of our sermon today and, and what we'll glean from 3 John verses 1-8 through is this, that the church on mission supports those who go so that they may be partners in the gospel work with those that they send. A church on mission gives to send well, to support well those who are going so that the church who gives can be those who share in the success of the missionary. As we look at 3 John today in these uh, first, uh, first half of uh, 3 John anyway, I hope that by the end of our time in God's Word that we would know as a church why, how, and what is our reward for supporting those who go on mission. Why we give, how we give, what the means of our giving is, and what is our reward? What do we get for supporting those who take the gospel to faraway places? I would invite you as you're comfortably able, please stand with me as we honor God by reading His Word, 3 John verses 1 through 8. There we read, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. This is God's word. You may be seated. The church on mission supports those who go so that they may be partners in the gospel work with those that they send. Now, as we get into this very short letter, I think it's helpful to provide a little bit of background to understand some of the context of what it is that we're reading. The author of this letter is John, John the Apostle, sometimes called, as he calls himself in verse 1, John the Elder. Likely, John is writing this letter near the end of the first century, and he's probably an old man at this time, hence the word elder. John has written this very short letter to a man in the church named Gaius. Now, we don't know specifically who Gaius is. There are other Gaiuses named uh, throughout the New Testament in different places. Gaius is a fairly common name. Uh, This Gaius is probably not to be identified with any of the other Gaiuses, so uh, it's hard to know who he is, but he's important to John and probably a leader in the church. John has written to Gaius specifically to encourage this brother to continue setting a good and faithful example for the church over against a negative and divisive example, the divisive work of another man in the church named Diotrephes, who we won't read about today, but you can read about in 3 John. As a specific matter of encouragement, John acknowledges the very good work that Gaius has done for traveling missionaries, brothers as John refers to them, and he exhorts Gaius to keep supporting them all the more as Gaius is able. And in this way, Gaius and John's letter to this church leader become both an example of why we give and how we ought to give in support of the mission of the gospel and what we can expect for our faithful support. We see in John's third letter, first of all, our model for giving as a church desiring to be on mission. And our model for giving is in Christ's generosity. Our model comes from Jesus. 
There's one word and there's one theme that echoes loudly throughout this short letter. And, it, and you heard it five times, at least even in the passage that we read today. It's that word truth. Shows up in verse 1, twice in verse 3, once in verse 4, again in verse 8. All of these verses emphasizing truth. John loves Gaius in truth. These brothers testified to Gaius's truth in which he walks. John's great joy is to know that his children are walking in the truth. Supporting missionaries makes the believer a fellow worker in the truth. Truth in the, as a concept in the context of John's letter and, and all of John's other writings in his first two letters, in the, in the gospel, the biography of Jesus that he wrote, even in the book of Revelation, all which John wrote, truth has everything to do with the gospel and with Jesus Christ himself. John loves Gaius in Christ. These traveling missionaries attest to Gaius' walk in Christ. Supporting these missionaries makes Gaius a partner in their work in Christ. Jesus himself is the basis. He is the foundation of John's love and encouragement to this brother in the church. But not only is Jesus the basis for John's encouragement of Gaius, but also Paul, the apostle, says effectively the same thing. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, Two letters, well, probably three, but we have at least two of them, First and Second Corinthians. In Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, uh, there in the context, Paul is encouraging the church at Corinth to continue supporting him in, uh, in ministry so that he can continue doing what he's doing. And he reminds them of why they give for the sake of the gospel going out to the nations. In Second Corinthians 8, 9, Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Our model for giving to the gospel mission, the, the foundation for our giving is none other than Jesus himself. Jesus is, as John records in his gospel, uh, Jesus himself saying in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John says, Gaius, I love you in the truth. You're walking in the truth. Support these brothers so that you can be a fellow worker in the truth. What is the truth? The truth is Jesus. He's the foundation. He is the fountain. He is the model of all that we do in life together as the church. Here's how Jesus models generosity specifically. He models it in, in the gospel. As Paul summarizes it in, in 2 Corinthians 8 9, that Christ had all. Christ being the eternal Son of God, co-equal, co-eternal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. God the Son had everything and set it all aside, adding humanity to His divinity, becoming a man, being born as Jesus of Nazareth, taking all of the wealth of divinity and becoming poor as a human, setting all of his right to a divine sort of lifestyle for a time so that he could live among us, to live sinlessly in a way that none of us ever have, to fulfill God's law perfectly, to demonstrate for all of us what a relationship and what true fellowship and dependence upon God actually looks like and is meant by God's design to look like. Jesus, the Son of God, who set aside the great wealth of all of His divinity, adding humanity to His existence, then gives Himself as a sacrifice for those in great need, those in spiritual poverty. Gave His life on the cross to pay for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. 
so that he might give the riches of his righteousness to those who have none of their own and to those who could never earn it on their own. Christ, though he was rich, for our sake became poor so that we might, by his poverty, become rich. This is the great glory of the gospel. Our model for generosity is not not just in people who give a lot of money, but in Christ who gave his own life for our sins and who raised his life from the dead to give the promise of real physical resurrection to all those who trust in him. All of the riches of his life given to us when we trust him. He's the model of our generosity. Friend, this morning, before you give to mission causes, before you give to a church, before you give charitably to some religious organization, you first need to receive the blessing of knowing and embracing Christ as Lord. Before you give anything to the Lord, you need first to receive Him as Savior. This is the call of the gospel. Many of you are used to hearing an invitation at the end of the sermon. I'm going to give it at the beginning. If you don't know Jesus today, I encourage you, before you even think about giving to the church, think about first receiving the blessing of knowing Christ, receiving the riches of His righteousness in place of your sin and being made right with God. And then as you are made right with God through Christ and you give for the work of the gospel, as you give to missionaries who may go out, when you give as a follower of Christ, give with Jesus-motivated generosity. We don't give to gain favor with God. There's nothing we can give to gain favor with God who already has all things. But we give as those who have been loved by God and shaped by Jesus. We give as those who have already observed and received all of the blessing of perfect divine generosity and we give back in love to God for all that He's given to us. Our model for generosity is Christ's generosity. And so knowing our model, knowing why we give for the work of the gospel helps us to understand then how we give. It helps us to understand the means of our giving. What is the means of our giving? Our means is all that God has provided. Our means for giving in support of the Great Commission is everything that God has given to us. Gaius in John's letter stands as an excellent example of Christian love. These itinerant preachers, these brothers, as John calls them, these early first century missionaries of the gospel have come to Gaius and they have received from Gaius various efforts, as John says, for their support. Gaius likely helped these brothers at least two ways. First, he helped them physically in the sense of hospitality. It was common, even expected in the ancient world, that when someone uh, uh, was traveling through a town, if you knew them or knew of them or you had some common bond or something, uh, something in common there, it was expected that you would receive them as guests into your home, that you would care for them during their stay. You'd feed them out of your pantry. You might give them your bed to sleep in. Hotels, inns in those days were sketchy places where people were likely to be robbed or taken advantage of. And so to have a safe place to stay while you're traveling was a real, tangible blessing and demonstration of love. And Gaius does this for these men who are traveling as strangers. John says, it's a faithful thing that you do for these brothers, strangers as they are. You didn't know anything about these guys, but that they loved Jesus and were proclaiming the gospel and you opened your home to them. I want you to understand this morning that money is not the only way to be generous in support of missions. 
Money is not the only way to be generous in support of missions. Not everyone has extra cash to give, but you may have an extra room in your house or a pull-out sofa for a traveling missionary to stay in. Maybe you have a car that you could loan to a missionary who's maybe stateside for a period of time so that they can use it as reliable transportation and not have to spend a whole bunch of money renting a car and whatnot. Perhaps you have wisdom to share about a place where a missionary or a mission team might be going. A group of us are going to Frankfurt and then to Vienna at the end of this week. And many of you, uh, some of you have lived in those places. You've lived in Germany and you have some very helpful advice and helpful resources for us to consider. And, and, and out of your generosity and out of God's uh, provision of experience to you, you've shared that wisdom with us. Maybe you have a gift card laying around the house that you haven't used in a while and you don't plan to use. Somebody gave you a Starbucks card and you hate coffee and but you know that maybe a traveling missionary or someone, someone who is maybe stateside from the mission field does love coffee. You ain't going to use it, but they'll love it. You can bless them that way. Perhaps you could take a meal to a family of a church member when they go on a mission trip. Maybe watch their dog, check their mail, house sit for them. All of these are wonderful ways to give generously in support of missions that don't require money. So when we think about giving to missions, you may not have a lot of expendable or dispensable income uh, additional to give in the, the, the sake of mission, but friend, that does not mean you're not a partner, you're not a co-worker for the truth. There's much that God has given. He's given physical things like hospitality and ways to give that way, but also, as we see, God also provides finances. And we are to expect, by what we read in 3 John, that Gaius supported these missionaries financially. Finances are not the only way to give, but they certainly are a very versatile way to give in support of missions. John says in verse 6, To Gaius, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Translated, generously with all that they need. That word, send, you will do well to send them on their way, is a word that's used interestingly in a number of other places in the New Testament. And sometimes it's translated as help. Sometimes it's translated as speed along. But in every case, when this word send, help, speed along is used, it's not just wishing someone a safe journey, but providing what they need for that journey. Here are a sampling of its usages. Romans chapter 15, verse 24. Paul, the missionary, writes to the church at Rome, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 6 through 11, Paul says to the church at Corinth, perhaps I'll stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. Verse 10, he says, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you for he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace. Send him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I'm expecting him with the brothers. Second Corinthians 1, verse 16. Again, Paul says, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. To the young pastor Titus serving in Crete, Paul writes in Titus 3.13, do your best to speed, there's that same word again, send help, do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. Explaining what that means, Paul says, see that they lack nothing. So sending includes support for all that is needed for those who are going. And you may be thinking, I knew it, here it is, the money sermon. 
Some of you are visitors today, and you're going, doggone it. Of all the Sundays, the Sunday he preaches on money. Problem is that just money just shows up all over the Bible, and for good reason. Now listen, when we talk about being generous with our finances for the support of missionaries, when we ask you to give for the sake of the mission, I'm not asking anyone to give so that I, so that any of our staff, or so that any missionary that we might be supporting might line our pockets with cash because you give. That's not why we ask. But it is a plain fact of the, that, uh, of the New Testament that there are a number of requests for finances, for finances in support of the mission. Why, why are they always asking for money? <laughs> There's some practical reasons. Currency is flexible. You, you can use currency to buy a cup of coffee. You can use currency to rent a car. You can use currency to pay for a hotel room. You can use currency to pay for a meal for someone that you're maybe sharing the gospel with. Currency is flexible. It can be used in exchange for lots of different things. Money, finances, has buying power in multiple contexts, in multiple cultures. Uh, in fact, most cultures and most economies in the world today are currency-based. They're not trade and barter-based. So if you were to give a missionary, you know, who's going somewhere in, in Central America a flock of sheep to support him on his way, well, not everybody may need sheep from his flock to trade for other resources, right? Sometimes currency is just has better buying power. Money, let's just be honest, is easy to store. It's not very heavy. It's easy to carry. You can even store it securely in a bank and access those funds electronically all around the world. Money doesn't usually cost anything to keep, unlike sheep or livestock, which, you know, you got to pay for their food. There's another reason that there are requests for finances to support the work of the mission, and that's because money, more than being flexible, more than having buying power in lots of contexts, more than being easy to travel with and easy to store, money is close to the heart. It's often been said, if you want to know what matters to somebody, look at their check register. Nobody writes checks anymore. Look at their bank statement. See where they spend money. See where they swipe their debit card. See, the play, see where they spend money and how much they spend. You want to really know what's important to a person, look at how they spend their money. Money is close to the heart. And therefore, often, giving money, giving the, the thing that, that we are most want to hold on to for our own benefit is often just the right way to show sacrifice in support of a mission greater than making our own lives comfortable. Giving money, because it's close to the heart, is a way to sacrifice in meaningful ways for the work of the gospel. Now, we as a church, we give a lot of different ways. We give weekly through regular tithes and offerings. And friend, if you want to give to the gospel, start there first. The local church is plan A for God uh, in God's work uh, of the Great Commission of reaching the nations for the gospel. The local church is plan A. And friend, there is no plan B. So if you want to give to the work of the gospel, if you want to be a partner in the ministry, uh, in part through what you give, first give to your local church. Give a regular tithe, regular offering out of what God has provided to you. But then we give as a church a lot of other ways, too. We have special emphasis mission offerings throughout the year. 
being a cooperating church with the Southern Baptist Convention, we give to, to three um, a pretty big offerings throughout the course of the year. Around Easter time, we give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, which goes to support the North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, it, it, uh, the, the North American Mission Board trains and sends and, uh, and, and assigns, if you will, uh, church planters to start new churches in difficult places. Uh, they do a lot of work with disaster relief here in the United States and around the world. Uh, at Christmas time, we give to another special offering called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering, and uh, that missionary that mission's offering is named after a, a woman who's a missionary to China a number of years ago, Lottie Moon. And uh, all of the funds that are given to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering go directly to the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention to support uh, with full-time salaries and places to live uh, and all that is needful for upwards of about 4,000 missionaries that we support around the world. In the fall and in a few weeks, you'll, we'll see emphasis for a Mission New Mexico offering or State Mission Offering, they changed the name of it, State Mission Offering. And that offering that we take up, apart from our regular tithes and offerings, that goes to the Baptist Convention of New Mexico. And those funds get used to support pastors in need, to support the work and the ministry that takes place at our Baptist camps in New Mexico, INLO and civils camps, uh, to help uh, fund a minister and family retreat that is meant to care for ministers in need, to fund church planters, even here in New Mexico. We give that way. We give also for those who are going out from among us. Uh, many of you have given especially, uh, and I am particularly grateful to those who have, to support our team that's going to Frankfurt at the end of the week. Some of you have given sacrificially and generously so that we can go, and we're grateful for that. I'm glad for at least one thing as a pastor. I'm glad for more, but, uh, but at least one thing, that our church does give generously to the work of mission. I thank God for that. I thank God that, that He has made us to be a church that doesn't love money more than we love the gospel and sending people. God has provided wonderful ways in which to support the gospel in intangible ways, whether that's through hospitality, opening your home, finding ways to sacrifice that aren't necessarily financial, or just giving of your finances for people to go. I encourage you, give regularly, give faithfully, give with cheerfulness to missions. Start by giving regularly to the heart of the Great Commission, God's plan A, your home church. And if you struggle to know why you ought to invest in your local church, you don't know what you get out of it. It might be because you're not very involved in it. So I encourage you, don't just invest financially in the work of the gospel here at our church. Invest your life, not just finances, but invest in prayer for your local church. Invest in study in God's Word alongside other believers in our church. Invest in work and service alongside others in the church. And if you're looking to invest your life in meaningful ways for the gospel, if you want to be a missionary, a proclaimer of the gospel, like right now or in a relatively short amount of time as a member of our church, start with our children. Start with our students. Maybe you've been in a Bible study class on a Sunday morning for years on end with no break. Thank God for your faithfulness. It might be time for you to set your Sunday morning Bible study with other adults aside so that you can go teach the gospel that you've been learning and mastering and understanding well to children and to students. Maybe you need to take some of your life experience and invest it in the life of a middle schooler or a high schooler. Let me tell you, there is always need for our members to serve the gospel, to disciple, to proclaim Christ and help uh, to understand who he is to our children and to our students in our church. And by the way, not just our church, but every church. If you struggle to know why you ought to give to the church, find a place to serve. 
See the value in what we do as a body and let that value for what we do with the gospel drive your generosity. So the mean, the, the, excuse me, the model of our generosity is Christ's generosity. The means of our giving is all that God has provided financially and otherwise, which leads us, of course, to our opportunity for giving. Not to enrich pastors, but to support those who go with the gospel. Our opportunity to give is to give to those who go with the good news that Jesus died for sinners and was raised again. John tells Gaius that the brothers he has received and who testify well of Gaius have gone out for the sake of the name. Did you see that? These brothers have gone out for the sake of the name. Now, the name, of course, is the name of Jesus. It's not the name of John. It's not the name of Gaius. It's the name of the only Lord, Jesus. They've gone out for the sake of the name as missionaries, as itinerant gospel ministers who are traveling around the the known world at the time, taking the gospel with them, starting churches as they go. And further, they're doing their ministry sacrificially. They're doing their ministry taking nothing from the Gentiles, John says. Now, Gentiles is is a sort of a blanket term for unbelievers, not just non-Jewish unbelievers, but any sort of unbeliever, anybody who's not trusting in Christ. Why do these missionaries go out and do all this ministry for free? Why do they preach the gospel? Why do they start churches without asking for those people that they're ministering to to support them? For a number of reasons, I think. First of all, they do it for free, accepting nothing from non-believers to demonstrate that they're not in this for financial gain. That these missionaries are not traveling around the world with the good news of Jesus Christ in order to get rich by those that they share with. Secondly, they do this. They take nothing from the Gentiles as they go out for the sake of the name to prove that they're not like other traveling teachers of the day. It was common in the ancient world, especially the ancient Roman world, and particularly Roman cities, to have a a city square, a city forum. And there in the middle of the city, in the ancient city of Corinth, was a great example of this, there would be a platform in the square, and various teachers and philosophers and and traveling, uh, I don't know, preacher types would go into the city, stand on this platform in the middle of it, gather a crowd, they would expound their philosophy or teach whatever they taught, and then they would ask people to give them money for what they taught. These disciples who are going around the world preaching are taking nothing from unbelievers so as to say, we're not like all those other people who not just make a living, but make a really good living by teaching you something. We're we're here to give you something to receive, to change your life, not so that we can get rich. But third, they go out taking nothing from the Gentiles in order to show that salvation is not a thing that's for sale, but that it's a gift to be received by faith in Jesus. You don't get saved because you give God money. He doesn't need your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and then a thousand more after that. There is nothing you could give God that he needs from you. And as we take the gospel to others, as these missionaries do, we don't give in order to get. We give so that others may receive, may receive salvation, may receive life with Christ, may receive a life transformed by Christ that only he can give to them. So John says to Gaius, who has received these brothers, who are getting nothing from the non-believers that they're preaching to, we ought to support people like this. Gaius, literally, we owe it to support people like this, Gaius. Now, of course, John does not mean that Gaius owes it to gospel workers like some sort of debt, as though there's some sort of you know, pay-for-pray sort of ministry or something, but rather that it is right and it's fitting for believers to support believers who go with the gospel, 
for those who have received the joy of knowing Christ to support those who are taking the message of the joy of knowing Christ to those that they don't expect anything to, uh, expect to get anything from. Our opportunity for support, our opportunity to give to mission is through those who go with the gospel. So the question arises, how do we know who we should support? Obviously, Gaius had these brothers, and he has John's instruction and help to understand who he should support. So who should we, as First Baptist West Albuquerque, who should we send money to generously in order to support on mission? Well, first of all, we should support those that we know. It's a good way to help, or a good helpful starting point. People that we know, missionaries that we know. Now, we know a number of missionaries sort of by proxy through the International Mission Board and the North American Mission Board and through the Baptist Convention of New Mexico, church planters, international missionaries, uh, uh, collegiate ministers, and, and so on. We know a lot of them sort of through our network, but we don't know many of them very personally. But we, can, we start there, and our church, as you give, you know that we send 11.5% uh, of what you give onto the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention, and that money gets... Uh, some of it stays here in New Mexico to help church planters here, and a portion of it gets sent on to the IMB and NAM uh, and to a number of other places. So we give to people we know that way, but we should also give to people that we know personally, church planters in Albuquerque, missionaries that have ties to New Mexico or to our city. We should give to those that we know. We should also give to those that we trust, those that we trust with the gospel, to be sure. Let's make sure that they're going to preach the same gospel that we're preaching here. And people that we trust will make good and wise decisions with the finances that we give to them. We don't want to squander uh, a gift. We don't want them to squander a gift. We want to support those that are doing good work and doing good work well and faithfully. We should give to those that we share ministry convictions with. So not just those that we believe the gospel and proclaim the gospel the same way, but also those that we know are, are doing ministry, maybe not exactly, but similarly to how we do ministry. Why? Because it's easy to support those who are in line with us there, right? We're not going to have these points of, of tension, of theological or ecclesiological tension as, as things get exercised. We're, we're just going to be full-on partners with them as we share ministry convictions. We should give to those whose ministry is focused on the local church, either as church planters or those who are supporting pastors uh, maybe in other parts of the world. There are a number of missionaries who go specifically not to start new churches, but to support uh, pastors of churches in other parts of the world who may not have access to education and to training. We send missionaries who go to strengthen pastors so that those pastors may strengthen their churches. We've said before, at least twice, I'll say it the third time this morning, that the local church is God's plan A for making disciples of all nations. So we should give to those whose ministry is focused on the local church. And fifth, we should give to those whom God calls from among our own body, from among First Baptist West Albuquerque. Why should we give generously in support to people from our church who want to go with the gospel to other places? Because they fit every other prior category. We know them. Prayerfully, as members of our church, we've come to trust them. We've observed their life, their ministry. As we follow Jesus together, we know that we're going to share ministry convictions with those people who are in our church that are going to go out. Not only is their ministry focused on the local church, but goodness sakes, their, their going is a product of our church's ministry. We should send, we should give generously to those that God calls among our own body. So if you're looking for opportunity to give to the gospel, look here. Look to those you know, those you trust, those we share convictions with, those whose, whose life is focused in the church, and those who come from out of First Baptist West Albuquerque. The third Sunday of every month, 
In my pastoral prayer, I include a prayer for missions. Maybe you've caught that pattern by now. Maybe you haven't. Now I've just clued you all in. Today's the third Sunday of the month. We prayed for Central and South American peoples. And a part of my prayer, and I pray this intentionally, every time I pray for missions, every time we pray for people around the world to hear the gospel, I also pray, God, send some of us. Send some of us. I can't wait for the day that a college-aged man or woman or a retired couple comes to me and says, I want to give my life or what's left of it in service to God overseas somewhere. I feel like he's put that on my heart. How can you help me go? What a joyous day for me to be able to say, I don't know yet, but we're going to find a way. We're going to send you because we ought to, and this is a perfect opportunity to. We have the model for our generosity. It's Christ's generosity. Our means is everything that God has given, finances and otherwise. Our opportunity is those who go with the gospel. And finally, John demonstrates for us in his letter our reward, our reward for being generous as a church on mission. Our reward is that we become fellow gospel workers with those that we send. The reward for giving in support of the mission is evident in the second half of verse 8. In verse 8, John says, Therefore we ought to support, we owe it to support people like these, so that we may be fellow workers for the truth. In order that we may become co-workers, co-laborers, partners in the truth. Do not miss this morning, dear friend, the great reward for supporting those who are going. That in so doing, as you support those who go, you become, you become another worker for the gospel. Of course, giving is not a substitute for personal effort and prayer. Giving is not a substitute for your own sharing the gospel. Giving is not a substitute for you discipling other believers, helping them follow Jesus, uh, growing in maturity and obedience to Him. But at the same time, not everyone is able to go. We're sending four of us to Frankfurt at the end of this week, not 200, although in, in God's timing, and I pray His provision, we'll be able to send many of us to lots of places. But not everybody gets, is able to go at the end of this week. Four of us are, but every believer may become a Great Commission co-worker with those who do so, with those who do go, by supporting them, by helping them, by sending them on their way in a manner worthy of God. Four of us are getting on an airplane at the end of this week, but all of us, First Baptist West Albuquerque, is going on mission this week because you give. Some of you may enjoy, like I do, the reality TV phenomenon, Shark Tank, on which, or Dragon's Den, if you prefer the British version, you see a group of extremely wealthy people, investors, who are sitting on a panel grilling inventors and business owners about their invention, about their business. And these, these inventors, these business owners are asking for an investment. They want those investors' money to grow their business, to, to sell more product, to, to, to make more money. And these sharks are grilling these business owners, trying to make sure, by asking lots of really weird and detailed and specific questions, to see if their investment in that inventor is going to give them any kind of return. What's the return on my investment? If I give you half a million dollars for X and such invention, when do I get my money back? And what do I get in return? Because that's no small chunk of change. So if I'm going to give you half a million dollars, I want to know when I get my money back, and what I get in return for this, this favor, for this investment in your company. Do I get a share of the company? Do I get a royalty on the product when it's sold? What do I get out of it? 
What do I get for what I give? And be sure of this this morning. Giving to missions, giving to the work of the gospel through your local church is an investment. It's an investment. But it's not just any investment. It's not just a a charitable goodwill donation. And like any investment, giving to the gospel, giving to missions has a return. There's an ROI on gospel giving. But it's not a return that grows your wealth. ROI on giving to the gospel is not physical. It's not necessarily tangible. It's not necessarily measured in dollars, but it is spiritual. And that doesn't mean to say that it's not real. Just because it's spiritual doesn't mean that it's not real. Those two are, are, are not mutually exclusive. Mission support is given so that the gospel may speed ahead. We fund missionaries. We give to the work of our local church so that as church leaders and, 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 uh, and grow group leaders and Sunday school leaders and as missionaries, so we can focus on proclaiming Christ to people and in places that we can't all go to right now. That's why we give to the IMB, because we can't all go, but some can. That's why we give to the North American Mission Board, because maybe God hasn't called us all to be church planters, but he has called some, and boy, it's, it's right to give to those that the gospel may speed ahead. The return The ROI for giving to missions is not in dollars multiplied, but we know it is in the future population of heaven increased. In lost souls saved by God's grace as the gospel is proclaimed. The return on our missions giving investment is in the church of Jesus Christ growing in the world. The return is in hearing from God when we meet him face to face. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with little. Enter into the joy of your master. The return on investment of the gospel is realized in real spiritual returns. You are meant to realize this spiritual return. You are meant to be a partner in the return on the gospel and to see the spiritual return for others, to see others come to know Christ as a part of what your help has given to others to take the gospel to them. So friend, if you struggle to give because you see giving as a cost, it's just another expense in your budget. I encourage you, as I did earlier, involve yourself in the work of the ministry of your local church. See it not as a a cost, but see it as a joy, an opportunity to engage in the gospel with others. Pray for ministry leaders and missionaries personally. Develop friendships and ministry relationships with other people in the church. Go teach a children's class with your best friend in the church and enjoy the spiritual return with your good friend. You will invest in what you feel is valuable. The gospel is of infinite value. We ought to give to it. The church on mission supports those who go so that that church may be partners, may be fellow workers in the gospel work of those that they send. In 1792, the British Baptist pastor William Carey and his friends formed the Baptist Missionary Society as a foundation to ensure the support of those who would take the gospel to people who did not know it and were dying in their sin all around the world. The following year, 1793, William Carey himself would leave uh, from the British Isles for India as a missionary. He famously told his close friend and fellow Baptist Andrew Fuller, I will go down into the pit if you'll serve as belay. I'll go down into the pit if you will hold the ropes. Fuller held the ropes of support for William Carey and for others who would go by serving as president of the Baptist Missionary Society traveling all around Britain in order to raise funds and in order to raise other means of support for William Carey, for his team in India, and for the many other missionaries that they would send. 
Now, as a result of his going to India, William Carey is often recognized as the father of the modern missions movement. But Andrew Fuller, holder of the ropes, was his co-worker in the mission. Church family, we are to be a great commission people, engaging the mission of Jesus Christ to make disciples of all peoples, here among our neighbors and to the nations. Four of us are getting on a plane at the end of this week to engage the task to seek a path forward for our church to support the work in meaningful ways of the gospel in Europe. We're able to go, the four of us, without significant financial burden because you, dear church, have held and are holding the ropes for us. So thank you. Thank you for sending us on our way in a manner worthy of God. Thank you for being faithful to what God has called you to do. And I pray that the Lord might so bless and increase our generosity as a body of believers that we might hold the ropes for more and more of our own for decades to come. We ought to support workers like these so that we might become fellow workers in the truth. Let's pray together.